Yes, ladies and gentlemen, thank you once again for joining us here at INC Live for the UFC 263 preview show. My name is Carl Bimage, and I am joined this month by Luke Alexander. Luke, thank you once again for joining us on short notice, and I'm glad your appearance uh, first time around didn't scare you off making a sophomore outing. <laughs> yeah, thanks for having me back, Carl, and you're having me back on a really good card as well, so I'm excited to be here, and I'm excited to break down these fights. And we'll discuss this card in a lot more detail coming up over the next hour. We'll discuss all five fights on the main card, as well as touching on some of the prelims. We'll also discuss some of these stories that have been happening in the world of MMA and in combat sports in a lot more detail coming up. Uh, the first place we need to start, though, is something which is quite close to yourself, which is the fallout from UFC 262. And as somebody who was actually in attendance at Houston that night... I think you're the best person to talk about Charles Oliveira, lightweight champion. Yeah, man, what an what an absolute banger of a fight. Um, I, I mean, we've seen the news on him, you know, about fighter pay and you know describing um, kind of his. I thought the thing. I don't know if you got to see it, Carl, but his game plan going into the fight, him talking about how Chandler typically hits the back of the head and he throws those hooks that kind of loop around the back of the head. And so, you know, I went back and actually rewatched the fight. I was there in person. So it was kind of tough to, you know, be able to break it down like in person, but it was interesting. It looked like the shot that did knock Oliveira down in the first round did kind of clip him on the top or the back of the head. And so it was interesting that Oliveira actually had planned for that, but yeah, getting into the fight in particular, I mean, the crowd was absolutely insane. It was about 50-50 Oliveira Chandler as far as the fans going for each one. And, um, yeah, I think Oliveira is in a pretty interesting position right now. You know, he's got most likely going to take the winner of Poirier McGregor. I don't see Daryush sneaking in there at any point. And then, you know, you have Gaethje and Chandler just kind of floating around waiting. Yes, and I just want to bring up that point as well because um, I did a post-fight recap immediately after watching the event myself and I got a little bit of blowback when I called Charles Oliveira a paper champion, which if you are one of those people who was upset, I do apologize. I never meant it in any sort of disrespect to Oliveira. I think that when you look at the wins that Charles has had, when you look at the achievements he's had, he's worthy of being champion. What I was getting at though is, can you call Charles Oliveira the best lightweight in the world. And personally, I think with Dustin Poirier around, I don't think you can. What he's going to get the opportunity, though, to do is to prove those people wrong. I think that him versus Poirier or McGregor, whoever wins that fight at 264, will face him for the belt. And if he beats that person, there is no argument. But I just think at this moment in time, Dustin Poirier, for me, is the best lightweight. And that's, that's all I was getting. So that's just my own little disclaimer in regards to Charles Oliveira. Yeah, no, I mean, it makes sense. And I mean, you know, you get that sometimes. I mean, with a division like lightweight, I mean, it's so tough. I mean, any guy on any given night in the top five could take, you know, somebody out. But I do agree with you. I mean, Poirier, you know, beating McGregor, I mean, his fight with Khabib, you know, being, I mean, if you could say fairly competitive, fairly competitive, having that win over Gaethje. I mean, he obviously hasn't fought Chandler, but yeah, I, He's definitely not a paper champion. I mean, uh, he's, you know, came up and his strength of schedule towards the beginning of his career is really strong. You know, he fought everybody, you know, in their prime. And then, you know, the fights that got him to his title shot might not be as strong. But, you know, like the heavy hands guys say, I think he did kind of like a reverse development. And so I think Oliveira, 
no matter what, is one of the top five fighters in the world. But I agree. I think, you know, getting the fight with Poirier will show us, you know, if he is the best lightweight in the world. And that's a fight that will most likely happen uh, later on in the year, possibly around sort of November, December time, depending on how things open up in the world. Another fight that will be taking place later on this year, um, it's one that we sort of have to bring up with it being an MMA connection, Tyron Woodley versus Jake Paul. Yes. So <laughs> I, I saw some people tweeting like last night, like a little late that it was going to get called off, but I don't know. I mean, yeah, I don't really know how to feel about this. Um, there's just not enough footage on Jake Paul for me to make a confident, like, you know, assessment of like his skills. I think he has like a pretty good one, two, you know, um, I mean, Askren looked really slow and he still managed to land a lead left hook on, you know, uh, Paul almost immediately in their fight. So, I mean, I'm still leaning towards Woodley. How about you? I think Tyron's obviously, I think Tyron's got much better boxing fundamentals than what Jake Paul does, but I've, I never knew Tyron to have a great jab, which I think is a very important thing when it comes to boxing. So I think you've, I hate to say it, you've got to lean towards A, the bigger guy, and B, the guy who has better boxing fundamentals. Like Jake Paul is training to be a boxer. Tyron Woodley had boxing as part of an MMA portfolio. Um, I think the bigger concern for me is this is not an isolated incident. We are seeing a lot of fighters who are taking up these boxing matches. You had Ben Aspen earlier in the year. Frank Mia had a fight on that thriller card. Anderson Silva's going to be fighting, I think, Chavez Jr. What do you think it is that's causing so many of these sort of veteran names to just take this quick payday and maybe yeah. sacrifice some of their le uh, legacy for a boxing match? I think you said it yourself. I mean, I think it's the payday. I mean, you know, you get in there, you're going to make maybe twice as much as you would, you know, fighting on an undercard as you did previously in your career. You know, you do some media. You don't have to do as much media. I mean, I guarantee you Frank Mir maybe did like two hours, an hour worth of media, that entire Triller card. I don't know exactly what Frank Mir's disclosed payout was. It eludes me now. I remember seeing it, but I mean, it was pretty good for him just fighting Steve Cunningham on the mid card. I mean, he didn't look that bad, but yeah, I think it's pay. You know, I think that you can go in there, you can fight against a guy, you can build your name up and your brand or whatever you might have going on. There's so many more people that know Ben Askren now than they did before. I mean, you know, now that he's fought Jake Paul, he's a pretty known commodity. He has other businesses, you know. So if you're a guy who's out and you're, you know, a Woodley and Anderson Silva and you're sitting on the sidelines, would you want to lace him back up and go fight a, you know, a top 25, top 15 guy in the UFC and barely get paid anything to possibly risk, you know, further injury? Or would you rather go fight a YouTuber, or a streamer where you're still facing injury, but you're getting a lot more press with a different crowd than you ever had before and way more money? I think Vitor is going to be uh, taking a boxing match as well. Should be interesting. I, I thought it was so weird with Vitor uh, sidebarring that, you know, he got signed to one. He never fought in one, did he? He just was released. Yeah. So 10 billion people around the world are going to be disappointed with that one. Yeah. <laughs> well, going off on tangents here, we need to be talking about UFC 263. It's going to be taking place in Glendale, Arizona. Ironically, the same place that the first Adesanya versus Vittori fight, that took place, same location. So I think that's an interesting cycle. Uh, before we get to that fight, though, we're going to be talking about the prelims. And I have to say, as the UFC have done for all of these post-pandemic cards with the crowds, I think we've got ourselves a stack prelims. You can see them on the screen right now. 
Are there any fights in particular for you which stand out? Um, I would say on the early prelims, you have Frank Camacho versus Matt Frivola. And I mean, this is just matchmaking at its finest, I would say. I think that this is going to be an absolute firefight. Um, I'm leaning Frivola, but yeah, I think that this both guys have a pretty similar style. Um, they both have pretty decent chins, you know, and I think that this is a good fight to see where each of them are in the lightweight division. I'm pretty high on Frivola. I think if he could get his brawling tendencies down a little bit, I think he has, you know, some good solid wrestling when he needs it. And I think his boxing is pretty good. I'm, I'm interested in that fight as well. Um, I, I personally love Frank Camacho as well. Um, I know that the brawling side of things is something that he does have a lot of difficulty trying to get out of his system, but a ton of heart. I love that fight he had with Luis Pena, uh, which I've really got much more invested in that fight than I maybe should have done. Um, in terms of myself, I think I think on the whole, I think the prelim fights um, have a lot of potential. I think Everlev versus Dawadu. If you're looking for the next featherweight prospect, it could very well come from that fight. Striker versus grappler matchup, so you've got that to play into. Uh, Dawadu, he maybe doesn't sit down on his shot as much as what I would like, but fantastic kickboxing. Everlev, great grappler, as you'd expect from anybody from Dagestan. Um, Drew Dober versus Brad Vidal as well. I like this matchmaking. I think Brad Vidal has looked very good in his first few matches in the UFC. And this is his first real chance to see how good he truly is. You get through Drew Dober, you're worthy of being in that sort of rankings discussion. Right. No, I agree. I mean, I'm really excited. I mean, they, they, this feels like smarter matchmaking by the UFC, even than on 262. I mean, you give Drew Dober, I mean, Drew Dober versus Brad Riddell is fireworks. You get the good striker versus striker lightweight matchup that you want to see. I think each guy has like an interesting, they, they, they have interesting kickboxing games, you know, that are pretty similar, but slightly different. So I'm pretty in, interested to see, you know, how Dober does against a guy that is just a really, really good pure striker. Um, yeah, uh, Ivalev Duwadu is going to be absolutely amazing. Um, Duwadu was a guy who initially I wasn't very high on, but you know, the, his last win against Zubaria took off. That's, it's not a win to, you know, to knock off. I mean, Zubaria is a legitimate fighter. So yeah, I'm interested to see if, you know, he can take this one against Ivalev and continue his run. Um, also, I mean, Joanne Calderwood versus Lauren Murphy. It's an interesting fight. I mean, Joanne's last fight, you know, she she was a buzzsaw and just put on a great counter performance. So I'm interested to see if she could knock Lauren Murphy off and continue her ascent to the women's flyweight uh, title. Are you Are you? Do you think the UFC have made the right call putting that fight so far down the card? Because it's 90% sure the winner of this fight is going to face Shevchenko next, and the UFC. They've been criticized in the past for not marketing their lower profile weight classes. And you just sort of think, how are you supposed to get people excited for a Shevchenko title fight when you're hiding the person who she's going to be fighting next? I do agree. It's funny you say that. Actually, before I saw this, I was wondering, I was like, they could easily be switched out with Paul Craig, Jamal Hill. But I mean, I understand they're trying to get Hill a little bit more pop as well, you know, as the new light uh, heavyweight contender. But yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, I feel like the main card is very stacked and it has a bunch of good fights placed where they need to be. I couldn't see them being the feature prelim as well. So, yeah, I just think that, you know, they there's so many good fights and there's so many interesting matchups on this card. They kind of just slotted in where they did. But I do agree. I think that, you know, they do need some more exposure for a number one contender fight. You know, it definitely shouldn't be 
you know, eight fights down the card. But I think that's just the way that this card shaked out due to how stacked it is. Like, we had the card just uh, yesterday, the Voice um, and Strike versus Sakai card. I personally would have been okay with uh, Murphy versus Coldwood as, like, the core main for that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I could have definitely seen that. Um, you know, maybe one less heavyweight fight and then throw them on that. So, yeah, might not have worked out. But, I mean, even... I mean, Muhammad, Bilal Muhammad versus Damian Maya could be, you know, switched. I don't know. It's tough to say. I mean, I agree. They definitely need someone. They need. They definitely need some more spotlight on the women's flyweight division. So th this, you know, when they do announce the next Valentina Shevchenko title fight, people aren't like, who? So. Well, that's a discussion for another time. Obviously, Shevchenko will probably make another defense of her belt around sort of September, October time. But now, though, we're going to be talking about the first fight on the card. You touched on this to an extent. And it's one of my boys in action, Paul Craig, the number 14 light heavyweight. He's taking on the man just below him in the rankings, Jamal Hill. Just looking at some of the bookmakers' odds for this fight, uh, Jamal Hill is a big favourite for this one. Minus 290 with uh, Bovada. You can get Paul Craig at plus 230. We're starting to see, and I sort of mentioned this before in a couple of the previews, we're starting to see a new generation of light heavyweights coming through. Younger guys who the UFC are quite eager to push to the fore. So a couple of months ago, we had Jimmy Crute. He got what was hoped to be his sort of big breakout match against Anthony Smith. This feels a very similar situation for me with Jamal Hill. I think the UFC is starting to, starting to try and get the gears in motion to maybe push him higher up the rankings. I agree. I mean, you know, his last fight, what? It was the Ovin St. Prue fight. He stopped Ovin St. Prue. Um, yeah, it's interesting they gave him Craig, you know, after stopping and beating Ovin St. Prue. But I agree. I think that, you know, they're trying to push Hill as much as they possibly can. I mean, he was a Dana White's contender series guy, wasn't he? And then, um, yeah, they're, they're trying to get him some pop. I don't, I mean, I know Paul Craig's your boy, so you might agree with me. I I don't know why Hill is so much of a favorite over Craig. I mean, Craig can be slow and lumbering on the feet, but I do think he's gotten a little bit better on the feet during his time in the UFC. He survived with Ankaliyev to, you know, eventually submit him in round three. I'm not really high on Hill yet. I'm not. I think he has a good, you know, pressure striking game. He cut the cage pretty well against Ovin State Peru and was able to finish him. But I, I don't, I've never seen him really tested on the ground. And so I'm interested to see if Craig can impose his will on him there. That's the big key for me is the one thing we haven't seen from Jamal Hill is a great ground game yet. Um, I've watched a couple of his fights from the regional scene, what he's been doing in the UFC so far. And Darko Storsic managed to get him down five times in their fight. Uh, but Storzic was almost sort of using those takedowns almost sort of like to try and make an impact with the judges. I don't think he seemed all that interested in actually keeping the fight there. Paul mm. Craig, as we've seen from all these fights, he is, his bread and butter is his grappling. Maybe to his own detriment, which we'll maybe get into a little bit further on in this discussion. But if Paul Craig is able to get Jamal Hill down, I'm going to be interested to see what Jamal is able to do. Because I've got this fear... If, he, if Paul Craig can survive that sort of explosive get-up, we could see a Jamal Hill who's quite lost. I agree. I, I really see that. And I think that there is value on Craig this week. Um, I don't think Jamal Hill has world-ending power. You know, of all the fights that I've seen, you know, he does have some knockouts. But, I mean, he's... He's, he throws really quick, straight shots. You know, he, he throws with some volume. I don't think he has that much power. So I'm not as worried. 
unless Craig, you know, gets his feet crossed up or, you know, fight just hands down and just runs into something, I really don't see him shutting Craig's lights off early. So I think if Craig can make this a long fight, you know, draw out exchanges, get into the clinch, I think he could get him to the ground. And I agree. I don't think Hill has faced anyone. Craig is legitimately dangerous anywhere he is on the ground. He can get you off his back. You know, he'll, he'll easily take your back. And so I'm leaning towards Craig in this one, to be quite honest with you. I would personally lean towards Jamal Hill. I do love Paul Craig. And as I mentioned before, he is one of my, he's part of my sort of boy stable as it were. But there mm. are a lot of flaws with Paul Craig. I don't, while he has made improvements in his striking, and I think he does have some decent kicks, which I think is a trait of Paul Craig that people don't really talk too much about. If you notice, it's very different when Paul Craig's moving forward when he's striking than he is moving backwards. Because if you notice, it's when he's moving forward, it's hunched down. It's trying to lure people. Am I going to shoot him for the takedown? But when he's on the back foot, head goes straight up, and that's when he gets caught. So I can see Jamal Hill trying to exploit that. Also, Jamal Hill has a hell of a good kick. Like, he will target those legs. He'll work the body. He did that especially well when he fought OSP, and he fought Darko Storzic. So I can see a lot of body kicks from Hill. Um... I am interested to see how Jamal Hill is able to handle, and I hate to bring this up, this is probably going to hurt the algorithm, but he did get COVID. And I was reading up on some stats. Fighters who got COVID and then came back into action, they only have a 40% win ratio in their first fight back in action. So I'm interested to see if that maybe has an impact on Jamal Hill's performance. Yeah. Yeah, it's another X factor to put in there. Um... You know, I, I think the sample size is like pretty small with like wh who they've tested based on, you know, like their performance. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, I can see, I mean, Jamal can kick. I mean, he's got a, a really, really strong kick. And, you know, taking a win over OSP is no, I mean, it's a legitimate win. OSP is about as much as, as a gatekeeper at light heavyweight as anyone is. And so, yeah, it's tough. I feel like I'm leaning more towards Craig. Because I, too, really, really like him. And I just haven't seen enough of Hill and haven't been as impressed. And, you know, Stozik was able to take him down pretty easily. Um, I don't really remember Craig having that much of an offensive takedown game, you know. But um, I'll, I'll keep my Craig pick. But, yeah, I think this is a great matchup. It's a great way to start off the main card. And, um, you know, it's going to make for a good weigh-in. Craig is always in guys' faces at the weigh-ins. And he comes painted. So I think it'll be a great... Uh, fight that I think that'll get the fans interested. I mean, that's a great thing about Paul Craig as well, which you touched on there, is he never seems intimidated in any, any of his fights. And he's faced, an, I mean, he's faced Shogun Shiwa, one of the legends of sport, twice. And this is his fifth time that he's faced an unbeaten opponent. It was Tyson Pedro, mm -hmm. Jimmy Crute, Alonzo Menafield, Ankalaev, and now Jamal Hill. So he has no issue facing these dangerous guys at the UFC chucking him into no not at all i mean I, yeah i totally even forgot i mean that's a strength to schedule at light heavyweight i mean he's not taking an off fight i mean those are all you know each man has his own problems that he's fought in there but i mean those are all you know you would say bad matchups for him i mean obviously he caught shogun at the tail end of his career but yeah it's going to be an interesting fight. I think this is going to be a great fight for us to see where Jamal Hill is at and where he goes from here, you know, with a win or a loss. And if Paul Craig was to win, we're looking at a guy who's unbeaten in his past five. So he's going to be entering yeah. sort of like Anthony Smith territory. Right. 
yeah. Light heavyweight's just such an interesting division, you know, because, I mean, a guy like Craig, like you said, I mean, he does have his very apparent flaws where he does back up, you know, with his head pretty straight up on the center line. So, you know, you see him getting closer to the top 10 or top five, and there's probably guys that would knock him flat out. But, I mean, I don't know. I mean, still to this day, his ankle eye performance has blown me away. That was one of the most insane comeback wins I've ever seen in a fight. Got the feeling, you know, because I'm very high on Ankalaya. We could honestly get a situation where Ankalaya could win the light heavyweight title, which is not beyond the realm of possibility. He wins the title, and Paul Craig sort of becomes his Stefan Struve. That sort of fight that yeah. pe- the fight that people keep going to and just saying, "Yeah, but you lost to this guy." Yeah, I think that's a very apt comparison. Um, yeah, I definitely could see that. I'm really high on Ankalaya as well. I think he's, you know putting together the wins that he needs to put together now. And, you know, by the time he gets up there, I think he's definitely going to be ready to face whoever holds the belt at that time. It's heavyweight's got so good. So good. It is. It is. It was bad for a little while, and now it's picked right back up with Jones leaving, I feel like. Yeah. We'll move on to the welterweight division now. Now, this was interesting matchmaking, I thought. I When I was thinking of fights potentially for either of these two guys... I certainly didn't think they would get matched up together. It's Damian Meyer taking on Bilal Muhammad, number 9 seed taking on the number 12 seed. Now, before we discuss the fight in detail, I want to talk a little bit about Damian Meyer himself because we've got Damian Meyer now who's 43 years old. All indications are this is going to be his final fight in the UFC. He's going to retire afterwards. And I think this is a guy for me who just doesn't get as much appreciation as what he maybe should do because... We've all seen mixed martial arts evolve into a, like a mix of wrestling, jiu-jitsu, striking, kickboxing, all those sort of fields. And yet, here's this guy who essentially is a relic in terms of the way he fights. And yet, he's been able to fight for a UFC title twice. Everyone who's beaten him has either been a champion or fought for a title. I wouldn't call him a legend, maybe that's maybe a bit too extreme, but he's certainly one of those guys who, in my opinion, deserves a lot more appreciation than what he gets. I 100% agree. I mean, I think I'd go ahead and call him a legend. I think that, you know, his ability to bring and keep his game so consistent throughout has just made him, you know, so much fun to watch. I mean, what, it's not three years ago that, I mean, he got beat by Colby Covington, but I mean, he pulled a competitive fight. I mean, he was beating Colby up at times on the feet, you know, and we know how good Colby is now. And that was kind of Colby's coming out party, you know, as well as Usman's, you know, like you said, if you beat Maya, people knew you were legit, you know, he's been sort of a, a high level gatekeeper towards the tail end of his career. But I mean, he pulls hard fights out of guys, hard fight with Jorge Masvidal as he was coming up, you know, and then it's every time, if you're not elite and you're not ready to be at that level, he's going to get you out of there quick, quick submission of Lyman. Good, you know, quick submissions against other people, you know, more recently. But yeah, I think that this is a great fight to see, you know, for, to send him off. And um, I'm very surprised that Bilal is a minus 265 favorite. Uh, I did not, I thought it would be a little bit more even, but I guess the odds makers are just really seeing Maya's age as a factor. I think that's the biggest factor for me as well. Like 43 years old, is in an elite division like welterweight is a very hard ask um i also think as well activity because damian meyer last fought in i believe march 2020 i think it was on that brazilian card where he had to close off the crowd whereas with Bilal, we're talking about a guy who just fought in the spring so right. i think maybe activity is a big factor as well i agree 
Um, yeah, I'm interested to see what, what we get with Maya, you know, when he co- does come into this fight. I mean, as far as, like, you know, analysis on this fight, I mean, Mohamed has just been looking better and better with each fight. I was so sad that the fight against Edwards ended in a no contest. I mean, Edwards was getting the better of the exchanges early, but I was interested to see if Mohamed was going to find his way back in there. Um, I think Mohamed's boxing has been just getting better as he's gone on. Um, so, I, I mean, I don't know if it's... It, if Bilal Muhammad gets taken down, I think it's when I, I'm interested. I think Maya can get Muhammad down is what I'm trying to say. What about you? Well, I've always known Bilal to struggle with body lock takedowns. I think that's one of the big weaknesses. And as you know, that's where Damian Maya's bread and butter is. Um, I think that I think Bilal's going to be the faster fighter when it comes to the feet. Obviously, Damian isn't comfortable with his striking. And I also think Bilal's going to have a big advantage when it comes to the length of the fight. If it does go into the second and third rounds, we've seen Damian Maya gas quite badly in some of these fights. Even the Lyman Good, not the Lyman Good, um, I think it was, oh, what's her name? Um, Kayla Harrison's ex. Rocco Martin. In the Rocco, oh, Ma- Rocco Martin. In the Rocco Martin fight, he gassed badly in that third round. So if it does go into the third, we know that Bilal has a great uh, conditioning. So... I'd be interested to see if maybe that plays into a factor. I don't see Bilal being able to finish Damien. I don't think Bilal has that great finisher instinct. If he does have it, it's more in terms of his grappling. And you're never going to want to grapple with Damien Maia. So I think it's going to come down to that second round. It's going to come down to how Bilal handles the initial Damien Maia shot in the third round. In the first round, I should say. And then the second round. If he gets the upper hand in the second round, I can see him winning the third as well. I agree. I think that that's basically my analysis as well. I think it's it's handling the first shot. You know, I mean, Lyman Good wasn't able to handle that first shot. You know, Askren, obviously their fight, you know, they were pretty evenly matched as far as wrestling goes. And, you know, he eventually submitted him. I think Muhammad will be able to, like you said, he does have the weakness of body lock takedowns. I think he's going to be able to stay behind his jab, cut the ring pretty well, and then um, just faint as much as he possibly can to draw out shots, you know, and, hopefully make Maya, you know, miss on a couple of those shots. I think, I think that Muhammad will be the better conditioned. I mean, he's never really had conditioning issues. I mean, if anything, he, you know, he's almost uh, has the Ferguson factor. He gets beat up a little bit initially, and then he comes back strong two and three. So yeah, I could see where age and um, conditioning really could be the de facto, the factor of this fight on Muhammad's side. And I'm glad that Bilal as well is getting this opportunity, this sort of showcase position, because he almost sort of looked into the Leon Edwards fight because that was going to be, I think, Shemaev initially. He stepped in on short notice, which I think caught a lot of people by surprise. They didn't really know who he was. That fight ended the way it did. So I'm glad the UFC is saying, we're sorry for what happened. In return, you're going to be fighting this great MMA name from years gone by in a pay-per-view. So I- I'm glad the UFC have done that for him. So like a company man gets his reward. I agree. Yeah. And I think this, like we said, I mean, Maya is not a favorable matchup for anyone. I mean, you know, anybody, he can body lock you and take you down. But I mean, this is a massive win for Muhammad to have on his record. You know, Maya still carries name, has name recognition. I mean, he's still ranked number nine. So this is a great shot for Muhammad to jump into the top 10. Do you think Bilal makes the most of this opportunity? Does he get it done? 
I'm leaning towards Bilal. I, I think that depending on how what type of mile we see, I could see Muhammad. I mean, the way that he was putting his punches together in his past couple of fights, I could see him finishing Maya. Um, I Maya gets a little bit reckless, you know, if he doesn't land his first shot. You know, I mean, the fight against Burns, I mean, he kind of just walks straight into that. So I could see Muhammad if he does. Uh, he is able to stifle that first shot. He, I, th- I could see a Muhammad finish, and I think for Bilal's sake, a, a big finish against Maya would really do him a lot. I'm going to lean towards uh, Muhammad. I think that he can. I think he can withstand that first shot, and I think he can go on to win probably a 29, 28, if not 30, 27 decision. I'm going to say Bilal by decision, um, mainly for the same reasons that you brought up as well. Um, yeah, I think I think it's going to be an interesting fight. It reminds me a lot of Craig versus Hill. All logic says that the the lower ranked guy has more traits which are going to be giving him the edge. But Damian Meyer and Paul Craig, they are capable of finishing. If you make one wrong one wrong move on the ground, they're going to take advantage of that. So it's quite interesting. So like logic versus that sort of finisher, if you know what I mean. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's, you know, just so many unknowns on Maya's side. It's a tough pick. Like you said, his inactivity, his age, there's a lot of stuff that, you know, make him a tough pick. I mean, they've made him a tough pick for years, and he's still one. So <laughs> you never know with that guy. I mean, I was looking through some of the guys that he was beaten to get that shot at Tyron Woodley. Like, he was beaten like Masvidal, Condit. He, he went through some absolute killers. So he's more than capable of getting it done, even when the UFC arguably maybe didn't want him to. He's always no, been I a agree. tough out. Always been a tough out. I mean, you know, the Rocco Martin fight. I mean, that's a young, strong, big guy that, you know, he was able to take two rounds against. So, um, yeah, I mean, this is not an easy softball matchup for Muhammad. I mean, Leon Edward posed his own problems, but I, I think this is a good, this is going to be a good win for Muhammad to have. If he gets this win, I think this shows, you know, Shows us stuff about his ability to deal with grapplers. He hasn't fought as many grapplers, you know, in his lineup. And, you know, both of his losses have not came against, you know, really strong grapplers. So I think this is a good fight, like we said, to have on his resume. I'm going to continue going with Bilal Muhammad. Good thing you mentioned Leon Edwards as well, because, coincidence, it's time for us to talk about the welterweight five-round non-title match between Leon Edwards and Nate Diaz returning for the first time since UFC 244. Strange matchmaking from the UFC initially, but the more I've thought about it, what a good fight this could be. I agree. Yeah, straight five rounds, you know, third fight. Uh, yeah, it's it. there's a lot of strange stuff in it. But yeah, what a, what a great fight that this could be. I mean, um, you know, Nate's always a fixture. I mean, he's going to bring the most eyes to any card that he's on constantly. I mean... Um, and then Edwards, you know, a guy that just has consistently not gotten his due. I mean, a guy who's been overlooked and underappreciated, I think, his entire tenure in the UFC, you know, had the anticlimactic end to his Bilal Muhammad fight. So I think that this is a great – I'm a big Leon Edwards fan, so I'm very excited because I think that this is a great win to, you know, shoot, catapult him into welterweight contendership where I, he should be right now. I think there's a real – um split in my opinion with the fan base when it comes to leon edwards like if you listen to the hardcore fans who watch shows like this most people love the guy they appreciate some of the intricacies of his work but when you speak to the average joe who maybe picks and chooses what fights he watch he's an unknown 
or he's just that boring Brit who doesn't finish people. So I think this sort of showcase fight, the chance to fight Nate Diaz, who obviously carries with him a massive fan base, a dedicated fan base. If Leon was to get this done, and at the moment he's like a minus 500 to do so, a lot of those casual fans who maybe had been ignoring him will surely have to sit up. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, Diaz, I mean, he's he's had his, you know, fights. I mean, you know, he, he had that big last McGregor win. You know, I mean, he looked, I guess, fairly competitive against Masvidal. But, you know, he doesn't have Fairweather fans. I mean, no matter what, he has ride-or-die fans. And, yeah, I've never understood the Edwards dislike. I think some of the dislike as well came, you know, Masvidal, you know, punching him at that post-fight press conference and stuff like that. I think, like you said, there's just not enough exposure to Edwards. I don't think Edwards has fought on, I mean, I, I'm not real sure. I can't look back, but I don't think Edwards has really fought on like the main card of a really highly watched pay-per-view. He fought on some lesser, uh, lesser viewed cards. So yeah, I just don't think he's a household name. And so when people do see him, the only time they may have heard of him is Mazadal or someone else talking trash about him, you know, and he had that chance to fight uh, Chumayev before, you know, he had to take that break. So I think this is an even better fight for him than Chimaev, you know, because Chimaev, because there wasn't as many people, you know, the hardcore fans knew about him. Some of the casuals knew about him, but this is an easier fight for him stylistically. And everybody knows who Nate Diaz is. What do you think of the USC's decision to make this a five round fight? Do you think this was maybe a factor that Nate threw in to say, Hey, if I'm coming back, it has to be five rounds. 100%. So, when we talked on our 262 um, preview show, that it was actually you that brought that up, and I, I could 100% see that. I definitely think that this could be a concession from the UFC for Diaz. Diaz has spoken in the past about you know not liking three-round fights and really preferring five-round fights. Um, and so, yeah, I, I could definitely see you know when Diaz is negotiating. I mean, the UFC needs Diaz. I mean, they need him as in, in as many fights as possible. I think he's he gets you know. Ten, thousands if not tens of thousands of more pay-per-view buys when people see him on that main card and so it's an easy pick i mean i don't know why they don't have more five round top contender fights you know anyways so one thing i will say though on the whole i like the idea of a five round non-title fight it's something that i've sort of maybe pushed for for a while my issue is the ufc can be very subjective of when they implement this and that could open them up to favoritism because for me, it should either be none or everyone. And then you have a situation right. where you've got things like Ketlin Vieira versus Yana Kunitskaya, which is 25 minutes. Right. Yeah. Or the Lauren Murphy, Joanne Calderwood. Yeah. I mean, or, you know, even non-women men fights. I mean, you know, in divisions that just aren't as stacked. Yeah. No, it, it can get very subjective very fast. I, I do agree. So. Yeah, it's interesting because, I mean, they are kind of setting a precedent with this, but they're not. I mean, they, we really don't have any reasoning why this is five rounds. We're both speculating. So, yeah, it's interesting if this is a precedent that's set that they're going to you know, start implementing moving forward or if this was just a one-time concession to Nate Diaz's camp. Talking about the fight itself, a lot of people call Leon Edwards quite generic, say he's a bit of a boring fighter. I actually think he's very unique. I've never seen a fighter work this well outside the clinch? Because if you notice with Leon Edwards and the way he fights, I think the Goody Nelson fight is the best example of this. He is fantastic in the clinch, and especially the way he releases from the clinch and uses that to throw elbows and big strikes. And that caused Gunny a lot of problems. It caused RDA a lot of problems. And 
I think it's going to be a big factor in this fight, considering the way that Nate Diaz fights. He likes to get a bit dirty. He likes to make it a bit of a grindy fight. He tries doing that with Leon Edwards. He's going to be in eating a lot of elbows. I agree. I think that this match, I felt that this matchmaking was almost kind of mean, you know, to Nate Diaz. I, Nate Diaz, you know, when I went back and rewatched some of his fights, he does exit the clinch very lazy. And if there's one thing that you cannot do against Leon Edwards is exit. I mean, he repeatedly punished Gunnar Nelson every time he would exit the clinch with a punch, an elbow. Yeah, Edwards has an I, I, I don't think there's many people that possess the type of game that Edwards has. And so I think people just say it's boring. Also, I think. You know, Edwards has beaten some fan favorites. You know, he beat Cowboy. He beat Gunnar Nelson. He beat some people with existing fan bases. And he might not have beat them in the most exciting or compelling way. So I do think that could be where some of the hate is coming from. But I really feel like Edwards is aptly able to take advantage of all of Diaz's weaknesses in his game. Like, I just feel like this is a very forgiving matchup for Leon Edwards. What do you think are Nate's best traits to win, though? Like, we're sort of painting this as a Leon, as a gimme for Leon Edwards. What do you think Nate has that can cause Leon problems? Because one thing I have noticed is Leon does like to try and slow the pace a lot. He prefers to fight at that more lethargic pace. And yet Nate, great pressure striker. He likes to make people work. We saw that when he fought against Connor. We've seen that throughout his career. Could that maybe be a factor of Nate trying to push the pace and maybe put Leon into a position which he's not comfortable with. I think it's just that. I think, yeah, I think that Nate has to be able to push the pace. Um, you know, he needs to push the pace, but at the same time, get caught by something, um, you know, in the uh, in the Macedal fight, I you know, there's delusional fans who think that if the fight wouldn't have been stopped, that Diaz would have pulled away in four and five. I mean, Masvidal seemed just as tired as Nate. Um, Edwards has really, not to my knowledge, ever had any conditioning problems. I've never really seen him, you know, fatigue. I mean, everybody slows naturally, you know, towards the end of their third or, uh, or fifth round, depending on what fight they're fighting. But yeah, I do think that, you know, Diaz's best chance is just pushing out an all-out firefight against Edwards. Um, I don't think Edwards has just, like, great uh, power as far as, you know, his, his one-two or his kicks or anything on the feet. Um, but, yeah, I do think that, like, some of his clinch exits and some of the stuff that he throws on that will be the um, dividing thing that puts him over Nate Diaz. It should be noted Leon has won his last two five-round fights. Because he beat RDA and Cowboy. Diaz has lost his last two five-round fights against Connor and Masvidal. Yes. Yeah. And I mean, I just, you know, for Diaz to get into the fight, I think Edwards is going to have to slow. And I think it's 100% dependent on that. I mean, Edwards looked fine against RDA. And I mean, if there's anybody who can push a pace for five rounds, you know, it's RDA. So. All roads seem to be pointing towards uh, Usman fighting Colby again. That's going to be the next fight of world's weight. Does Leon Edwards maybe change the UFC's mind, A, if he wins, and B, if he finishes Nate? Possibly. I mean, I think that that's his best shot. You know, we have Burns, Wonderboy, um, looking like Colby, Usman. So, yeah, I think that, you know, if Edwards goes, say Edwards goes out and knocks out Nate Diaz, and then, you know, Wonderboy maybe beats Burns in like a five-round decision that's similar to like a Darren Till or, you know, one of his Woodley fights. I definitely think the UFC would probably lean towards Leon Edwards. Because Nate has only ever been finished once in the UFC, and that was against Josh Thompson back in 2013, as well as the Masvidal fight. So Masvidal was a doctor stoppage. 
Only time he's been knocked out in the UFC was when Josh Thompson head kicked him. So it would be a big coup if Leon Edwards is able to get this finish. I agree. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, we have good matchups all through right now, even if Colby might not as be deserving as what, you know, I think or others think. Um, I think, you know, the top ranks at welterweight, there's really interesting fights. Um, I don't see Burns getting a title shot if he beats Wonderboy immediately after beating Wonderboy. So, yeah, I'd say that either Edwards or Wonderboy would probably have the best chance of the title shot. And then if we got to give him a shot, like if Nate wins, I mean, he's definitely in there somewhere. Like the UFC are not going to turn down the chance to put Nate Diaz in a title fight just because of the amount of no. eyeballs. Like I was looking at the poll here. I always run a poll asking which fight on the card most people are going to be inter are interested in watching. And Diaz versus Edwards had 40% of the vote. So that's more than both title fights. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I can see that. And I, I honestly see this fight playing out a similar way as Daryush versus Tony. Um, you know, when I went to the Houston card, everybody in the entire crowd was a Tony fan. Um, I see a lot of people who are Nate fans maybe being disappointed and Nate not really getting in this fight. Um, you know, that might not, I don't, I mean, I love the, the, uh, the matchmaking for Edwards in this fight, but I mean, if you have Nate, I don't know if you'd want to throw Nate against another, you know, top three guy right off the bat, you know, as we said, you know, coming off of two losses. But yeah, I think it's an interesting matchup and it's going to, in, in both, and at least in my opinion, it's going to give Edwards a pretty good claim to the next, to a title shot down the road. Full main event time now, and we're going down to the USC flyweight division. And we're going back to December of last year. USC 256. Now, Davison Figueredo versus Brandon Moreno was a short notice title fight. Both of them had fought at 255. A lot of title fights have fallen out over that card. So these two were drafted in together on like three weeks notice to headline against one another. Not many people gave Brandon Moreno a chance in that fight. What followed was arguably one of the best fights of the year. Most polls I'd seen had it at number two behind Whaley versus Juana. It was an amazing fight and they get to run it back again. Man, what an absurd fight. I mean, I, I, I'd say that that was probably my fight of the year. It's so close. I mean, I'd say Whaley versus uh, Joanna was probably tied. I mean, it's flip a coin, whichever one you watch, you know, go back and watch it what certain day. But yeah, what an absolute banger of a fight. I mean, I've, I've always liked Moreno. I just never knew that he was capable of that. I'm in the same boat. Like, I'd always had Moreno down as, I gave Brandon Moreno more chance in that fight than what other people did. Like, I run the polls on the uh, community tab, asking people for who they thought was going to win the title fight. And Figueredo was like 91% favorite to win. So, like, more people thought Felicia Spencer was going to win her title fight than Brandon Moreno was going to be Figueredo. And yet, Moreno put in this fantastic performance. And I think he won himself a lot of fans with that. The question that stays in my mind, and I think the biggest factor going into this rematch... Did the short turnaround hurt Figueredo more than it did Moreno? And now that he has those extra months to train and to get his conditioning back into focus because it may have been off with the quick turnaround, are we going to see that same sort of parity in terms of the performance? Is Figueredo going to go into this fight a lot better than he did back at 256? Yeah, I think that's the biggest dynamic. I mean, Moreno had an ungodly chin in their last fight, you know, and Figueredo did gas. I mean, he definitely slowed, you know, he he 
he didn't necessarily, I mean, he kept his output pretty consistent, but I don't think there was as much pop. He didn't carry as much power with him into the later rounds as what he typically does. And I think Moreno would have been in trouble if he would have carried his power with him a little bit better, you know, into the later rounds. And so, yeah, I see that being the main dynamic of this fight. I think we could get a better, more well-conditioned Figueredo, easier weight cut, you know, and he could come in, carry his power a little bit later. And, you know, both guys landed, but I mean, I think Figueredo was doing, landing the most in the early rounds. That's the big thing with Figueredo is Figueredo is a massive flyweight. Like he's even spoken before. He says that flyweight is only really a short-term thing. I could very well be going to bantamweight further down the road. Um, hits like an absolute truck as well. Definitely the hardest hitting 125 on the roster. Um, great guillotine. Um, we've seen that effectively when he fought Alex Perez, Tim Elliott, Jared Brooks as well. Um, and I think that maybe scared Moreno. Because Moreno, Moreno for me is a good grappler. Very underrated in terms of the ground. And he didn't want anything to do with Figueredo. And that could maybe have been a reason for that. That he was scared of the guillotine. Um, I think he's maybe vulnerable to leg kicks. He's not comfortable on the back foot. We saw Brandon Moreno exploit that. Um, I think with Figueredo, I think there was a lot of people that maybe got a bit too carried away with how good he was after what he did against Alex Perez and Joe Benavidez. And I think in a strange way, the performance against Moreno was maybe the wake-up call to people to say, hey, yes, this guy's good, but he's not the saviour of the flyweight division. If you know what I mean. I mean, he's a good fighter. Obviously, he's the champion. But he's not the be-all and end-all. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, I think he, you know, Moreno is just tough as nails. Like, I think it really, I think it's going to bring a better Figueredo than what we've seen before. Yes. Because you know, he was able to hang in there five rounds, you know, after a tough, you know, back-to-back almost weight cut. Um I think, I mean, Figueredo is just like an athletic freak. I mean, he can get away with anything, like you said. I mean, his defense is almost non-existent sometimes. He sets his, he's, he's gets in weird stances. I mean, you know, he is very susceptible to leg kicks because he does put his front leg out so far. Um, on the back foot, he doesn't really pay much attention to defense as well, but he gets away with it, you know, and he finds a way. I mean, he... He's a very, very, very exciting fighter, and I'm very excited to have, you know, I've always liked the flyweight division. I'm very excited to have a guy like him in the flyweight division that will bring more eyes and bring more attention. Um, I'm going to go with Figueredo in this fight. I think the the factor that you mentioned at the beginning, I think he's going to come in better conditioned. I think he's going to have most likely an easier, you know, if he does everything right, he's going to come in better conditioned, easier weight cut. I think he's going to carry his power with him longer through the rounds. And I think that, I mean, it's really tough to say he's going to get Moreno out of there with how well Moreno's chin hold it, held up through five rounds, but I'm going to go with Figueredo. And that was the big thing that surprised me with Brandon Moreno in that fight was how good his chin was. Because he, he ate in those... I'm really struggling with my words here. In those first few rounds, he ate some absolute monster shots and just walked through them. Um, so I think his chin held up well. And... Do you think we might see Moreno try and implement the grappling a bit more this time around? Because we saw Formiga, the only guy to beat Figueredo, part of the way he did that was by utilizing the wrestling and putting Figueredo in positions he wasn't comfortable in. I could definitely see it. Um, yeah, I don't know if it was because Moreno was scared of his gas tank, you know, it being like a quicker turnaround and he didn't shoot as much because he knew it was a five-round fight. But, I mean, coming into this, I definitely think that's a factor that we need to look out for. Um, 
both guys, like you said, are great on the ground. I think Figueredo just is really good at scrambling. He catches a lot of stuff in transitions. You know, he works that guillotine in very, very quick on uh, Perez. So, I mean, this is a firefight, whether it's on the feet or on the ground. And I think that this is about as good of a, you know, title fight as you can have on any card. And so I'm super, super excited for this one. It's definitely a worthy call, man, in my opinion. Because um, the flyweights, they have had issues with trying to draw in the casual viewers because of their size. But when you put them in this position, you've got a high-profile main event and you've got this on the undercard to attract more people to the division. It's a, it's a fantastic place, in my opinion. And considering where the flyweight division was, so like Paul Cejudo, he retired, he, he gave up the belt, people were saying that the division's going to get closed. To see it now getting the sort of appeal that it is and people recognizing hey these guys are very good i think deserves so much praise so it's a good job to people like figueredo moreno pantoja askarov this sort of new generation of flyweights they're the ones that saved the division so hudo didn't do it by beating mighty mouse it's these guys i agree i agree you know all of those people roy val like there's so many different you know interesting styles uh, you know, and contenders coming up in this division. And I mean, you have a fun champion who can finish it anywhere. So yeah. Who are you picking? Who are you leaning towards? I'm going to lean towards Figueredo. My heart would love Brandon Moreno to win this fight because I, I like the guy on a personal level. I think it'd be good to have a Mexican champion. The guy was cut from the UFC. When they were doing that cult of the flyweight, he was actually out the company. So for him to now come back and then win the belt again, I think that would be a good story. But logic and my brain says Figueredo is going to be much better this time around because of those extra months to recuperate. And I think he's going to get him out there in two rounds. Nice. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to go. I'm going to stick with the five round decision, but I got Figueredo. I could see him, you know, taking a three, three, three rounds to two, five round decision. Time for us to talk about our main event of the evening. And the middleweight title is on the line for this one. Israel Adesanya defense up against Marvin Vittori. So we're going to go back to, uh, we're going to go back a couple of years time and we're going to go to the same place, Glendale, Arizona. It was fight night, Poirier versus Gagey. This was the second fight on the main card. Adesanya had just come off his win over Rob Wilkinson. He took on Marvin Vittori. Both guys unranked at this point. Uh, Adesanya wins this fight by split decision. Nobody really thinks much about the fight at that point. Adesanya goes on to become middleweight champion. Marvin Vittori hasn't lost since. The UFC gives themselves an opportunity and say, let's run this fight back. Yes. Um, yeah, so, you know, caught each other fairly early in both of their careers. You know, there's some, there's a little bit of controversy around their first fight. You know, there's some people who thought it could have been scored closer than what it was. You know, Adesanya had two active first rounds and then I believe in the third, you know, Vittori was able to take him down and get a little bit of top control. Um, you know, Vittori's had some good um, wins against Hermanson, Jack Hermanson, you know, who uh, took a win not too long ago. And then, you know, he had that most recent, that Kevin Holland um, short notice fill-in fight that he got the win in as well. Um, Adesanya coming back into this his division after that loss to Jan Blackowitz. Um, it's an interesting matchup. I think I was very interested that they went with this one. How about you? I saw it, I can understand the UFC's logic in making this fight. Um, all the indications that I've heard, and don't take this as gospel, this is just the rumor mill, was that Adesanya 
wants to fight two times, two more times this year. So he wanted to fight in June, and then he wanted to fight again around sort of September time. Uh, they gave it to Robert Whitaker, and Whitaker said, no, I've just fought Kelvin Gastelum a couple of weeks ago. There's no way that I can do June. So they went to the next guy down the line, which is Marvin Vittori. Um, all indications are Whitaker will fight the winner of this fight. It could possibly, depending on the way things open up, that could take place in Australia again. So I think that's what maybe the UFC are looking at. Um, as much as I think the first fight was a factor, and it was a, clo it was a close fight, but I personally thought Adesanya won that one, I think it's more a victim of circumstance. I think Vittori's getting this fight through being in the right place at the right time. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, in... Um, Whitaker's post-fight um, interview after the Gastelum fight, you know, he talked about Vittori, you know, asserting that he should have gotten the title shot and everything, you know, and Whitaker has just a little bit stronger strength of schedule than Vittori, so that definitely makes sense, you know, that Whitaker couldn't make it at this time and Vittori came up. Um, you know, a lot of people are not giving Marvin Vittori much of a chance in this, but I don't know, it's tough to say, I mean, Adesanya is coming off of a loss, you know, albeit at a higher weight class where he was able to be taken down. Um, you know, he was taken down in his first fight against Vittori. And I think Vittori's wrestling's only gotten better. Although, I mean, Vittori was rocked in the Holland fight. Um, you know, Holland has at least a somewhat similar striking style as what Adesanya has. And um, yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a good fight for Adesanya to get back on his feet. Um I'm not that high. I mean, Vittori, I, I think, is a really, really good, you know, top five, if not top ten middleweight fighter. Who are you leaning towards on this? How do you see this fight going? I'm going to lean towards Adesanya. I think that Marvin Vittori, as you mentioned before, has got better. But I don't think he's got exceptionally better to get the better of Adesanya when it comes to the striking exchanges. I thought what we saw from Marvin Vittori in terms of his grappling in the first fight... He still fights pretty much the same way. A lot of these takedowns are based on clinching up against the fence and then using those, utilize those trips. And we saw in that first fight that there was about five or six times he had Adesanya up against the fence, tried to go for the trips. And Izzy just brushed them off so easy. The best way to get the better of Adesanya when it comes to the ground game is to do what Jan did, which is to get those takedowns, shoot those double legs in the center of the ring where Izzy can't use the fence to get back up. If, he's, if Vittori's able to do that, he's got a chance, but Marvin doesn't normally fight and get those takedowns in that way. I agree, yeah. I mean, I think Blackowitz's success all came from those blast doubles and the reactive takedowns off of Adesanya's shots. Um, yeah, I don't think... I mean, Israel is so good in the clinch. You know, he's criminally underrated when it comes to the clinch. I mean, he's really good at distance striking, but, I mean, his clinch work is really, really good. Um, Vittori is as well, but I, I just think that, you know, his, Vittori will be looking for the takedown, and I think Adesanya will be a step ahead of him in the clinches, in the in the striking as well as defending takedowns. Um, I mean, I haven't seen Vittori shoot too many reactive double legs. Like you said, most of his uh, entrances into takedowns are typically, uh, you know, off, you know, chaining off the cage. So, um, yeah, and then on the feet, I think he's just w a little bit overmatched. Um, you know, he was pretty 50-50 with Hermanson. I mean, that was a, you know, that was a pretty great win for him. But, I mean, they still took rounds off of each other as far as the striking goes. And, you know, I, I just think that Adesanya is a step above most you know, if not all in the middleweight division when it comes to striking.
And it's not as if Vitovi has that sort of game-changing power. Like, a lot of people, like even John, when I discussed him with him on 253, he put forward the idea of Costa with that sort of game-changing power to cause Adesanya problems. Vitovi doesn't even have that. It's, it's more sort of a, it's a persistent sort of pressure style of striking. It's, it's brawling, basically. And yeah. you're asking Vittori to brawl against this world champion kickboxer. Yeah, it's a, it's a war of attrition for Vittori. I mean, he definitely wants to wear you down. Yeah, I've never really seen him, you know, rock too many people on the feet or just have like an all-out knockout. Most of his wins are by decision. You know, he has some submission wins as well. You know, some TKOs from people just kind of getting trapped and like not able to get out from, you know, under him. So, yeah, I agree. I mean, I just think Israel has a lot more tools to get it done. I mean, I could see Vittori maybe stealing around. I could see him maybe, you know, getting a takedown, you know, ending on some top control. And if Adesanya's output is not as good that round, Vittori could take a round. But I just don't really see any way that Vittori could get a finish here, uh, apart from maybe, you know, a submission. But, I mean, Adesanya's been pretty good on the ground, um, you know, with guys his size. Um and then I don't see him knocking Adesanya out, you know, in any way. Like you said, he's more of a brawler. He really needs to be in close to do much damage. And I don't think Adesanya is going to let him. I think there's two big factors which could play against Adesanya. Number one, how is he going to handle the loss against Jan Blachowicz? We have seen a lot of fighters in the past where they can maybe go on these long winning streaks. And once they lose a fight, they never gain that sort of confidence in themselves which could potentially happen to Adesanya. But also as well, Marvin Vittori cuts a ton of weight to get down to 185. Like, I think they both fought in California, and Adesanya only cuts something like about, what, about 10 pounds to get down to that weight? With Vittori, he was about 210 to get down to 185. I mean, Sonia knew, you know, the size of Blackowitz eventually, you know, did overwhelm him at some point. But I think Vittoria is still undersized for Blackowitz. And I think, you know, looking at Adesanya's sometimes uh, lower in, uh, output fights, I mean, I don't think Costa has that much power. I mean, he doesn't have too many knockouts just straight off, you know, a, a hook or something. He throws a ton of body shots. But when Adesanya is a little bit worried, more worried about what's coming back at him, whether it's Romero or Blackwitch, you know, just by sheer size, his output is a little bit slowed. I don't think he's going to be worried at all about getting clipped by Vittori. I don't, you know, Vittori trains at King's MMA. He has a good Cordero-style striking, you know, but... I, I don't think that I think him not being worried about what's coming along the other side, he'll be able to maintain range and Vittori won't be able to use any benefit that his size might have given him. Italy's always had a great history when it comes to kickboxers. You look at people like uh, Trojan. They never had that big Italian star. There's only been I can only really count on my hand the amount of Italian fighters in the UFC. Would a Marvin Vittori win help Italian MMA? What would it do for that culture to see one of their own become champion? I think it would. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, Alessio Sakara, um, Alessio, uh, De Chirico. Yeah. I mean, they, they've definitely had fighters in the past who have at least made splashes in their respective weight divisions, but yeah, I definitely think it would continue to put Italian MMA on the map a little bit more than what it is, you know, before I think Vittori would definitely make the most of this with a win. I think he cuts a pretty good promo. He's a funny guy. Um, and I don't think anyone's really expecting him to win this. I think most are think casual fans think that this is a foregone conclusion that Adesanya is going to win, you know, in most hardcores 
are typically leaning towards Adesanya in this. So I think that, you know, with a win, Vittori would not only put Italian MMA on the map, I think he would shock a lot of people. Just looking at the opinion polls here, 81% of people are favoring Adesanya to win this one. So you can get Vittori 19%. I mean, it is tough, too. I mean, I feel like I want to give Vittori his due. I mean, you know, the Kevin Holland fight, that Kevin Holland was a late, you know, late fight replacement. So, I mean, any time you have, you know, a replacement like that, you might not have been able to do everything that you wanted to do previously. So, I mean, it's tough to say where Vittori's at. I mean, the Hermanson fight, he looked great in that, you know, and that was a war. But, I mean, I would just see Adesanya putting away Hermanson a little bit quicker than what, you know, Vittori did at a five round decision, you know, although they have different games. So I'm still leaning towards Adesanya. I, I see Adesanya by maybe a second or a third round TKO. I'm going to lean towards third round. Um, third. Adesanya usually, usually likes to use the first round to gauge his opponents, understand where about their reaches. And then he really comes into his own around the second round. So he did the same thing against Costa. He used the first round to try and gauge whereabouts, Costa likes to throw, and then in that second round, teed off on him. So I think we're going to see a very similar sort of fight from Izzy. Um, and then again, it, it's going to be interesting to see how Adesanya does handle this, bearing in mind what happened against Blahovitz. Um, there's enough in this fight for me to be interested in. I just don't think it's going to be as competitive as the UFC would like. I agree. And like you said, I mean, I think it's another, it's a, it's a way for Israel to get a win you know, and to be back on starting a new win streak, you know, and then he gets the rematch against Whitaker, you know, like, I mean, he, he, he just wants to get this loss out of his system. And that's understandable. You know, I mean, he fought still in the pandemic with no crowd. He gets to come back with a crowd. You know, he's a guy who I think really feeds off crowd energy. You know, he does his dance when he comes out. I think that this is, this is just a good way to get him in a better headspace. And on that note, we're going to be ending the preview show, UFC 263. On the whole, as they have done throughout this sort of new era, as it were, UFC pay-per-views knocking it out the park. So I think the fans in Glendale, they're going to get a belter. Bit of British slang there. (laughs) Yeah, I think that this is, I mean, man, Glendale really, really got a good one. I thought I had a good one in Houston. And man, Glendale's getting about as good of a card as you can get. I would argue that, uh, personally, I, and I know no offense to you because obviously you were at Houston, this is the better card in my opinion? Oh, yeah, this blows 262 away. I think that this is stacked from the top to the bottom, you know, and there are a lot of, you know, a fight like, um, a fight like Duwadu, Ivolev, I mean, just really, really highly skilled people from, you know, early prelims to the main card, so... And then one month later, we'll get to do it all again. Vegas has a certain Irishman fighting a certain Louisianan. Exactly. Another another great pay-per-view card. Uh, and we don't know what's going to be happening with John, but if John's not available, would you be happy to talk about that one? Yeah. Yeah, I would love to step in. And we'll be back in a month's time where we'll talk about UFC 264. For now, though, we've been finishing talking about UFC 263. Before we go, a little bit of spring cleaning. Please like share subscribe ring the bell so you never miss video it does the algorithm the world of good and please follow us on our main channel which is youtube.com forward slash it's not cage fighting please subscribe to the patreon as well so all the money that you donate to us goes back into the channel um as mentioned before in a month's time we'll talk about ufc 264 poirier versus mcgregor that's been ufc 263 though 
uh, a lot of numbers here. Uh, that's been Luke Alexander. I've been Carl Bainbridge. Thank you very much for joining me, Luke. Yeah, thank you so much again for having me, Carl. And I'll let you get on with your day. This is the INC. Thank you for watching.